As we get started with our message today, we have been looking specifically at fundamentals of truth found in the Bible. Typically, when we do that, family and marriage is not one of the ones we think of. But it is one of the major fundamentals of truth in the Bible. In fact, marriage, the whole concept of it, is found biblically. And I was going to give a biblical layout of what marriage and family is, and then I got sidetracked, and it became very practical. I hope that's okay with you for a practical sermon this week. This should be practical all the time, but I'm specifically this week, uh, as we go into this, I'm just asking that uh, our hearts will be open. My heart, too. I needed this message this week, and um, I pray it will be a blessing to each of us. Would you be so kind as to pray with me? Father, I recognize the need of your Holy Spirit this morning. I ask for it in my life, and that you will give us the gift of ears as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When we were kids, and maybe some of us now, we love stories that ended with, and they lived happily ever after. As we listen to these stories, uh, we might have thought of what it would be like to have a person that would make us happy all the time and forever. And then again, maybe we saw enough marriages around us, our family and friends, maybe even our own parents, that told us that happily ever after was actually a line from a fairy tale and not from real life. However, most of us knew that somehow it would be different for us. Our other marriages were struggling, maybe, because they didn't really want true happiness. Maybe people didn't desire it bad enough, but it would be different for us because we had true love. Something that was never told us by Hallmark, by Hollywood, or our favorite stories is that a personal happily ever after is not the focus of love. We weren't told that really happy homes are possible only when its occupants are daring to live different. You know, um, sorry, should have had this sooner. That way you can just stare at it a little bit. There we go. Um, I have a question for you this morning. Have you given up your happily ever after dream? Maybe you never have been married and you're jaded by the failed families that surround us. Maybe you have been married and you're divorced and you think that true happiness in a home was never meant to happen this side of heaven. Maybe you're in a marriage that has fallen on hard times Instead of being happily ever after, it's misery ever after. Or maybe your family and marriage is okay, but you want something more. And then maybe you're the one in 20 of the homes that have found out that a happy home is based upon daring to live different. 
Happiness is possible today. Not, not the fairy tale happily ever after, but joy based upon true, genuine love that dares to live different. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through Ephesians 6, 4, uh, we have counsel from God on, uh, through Paul for Christian homes of all time. Uh, classic, wives submit yourselves to your husbands. Uh, verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then, of course, verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband and children. This one's for you, of course. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We, we see the counsel laid out in Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 6, 4, but we have to realize it wasn't laid there in a vacuum. This part of Ephesians is actually dealing with a bigger picture of how to have relationships with other people. In fact, uh, you have spouses, you have parents, you have children, uh, you have workers and those who work for them. Ephesians is talking about how to relate, especially this last section, to each other. And there are several sections I would like to focus on specifically. I was excited. I opened up, uh, every now and then this happens, I opened up uh, my Bible and it has subheadings. Maybe some of you have subheadings in your Bible. And there were three subheadings in the first section of Ephesians 5. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. So I looked at the subheadings. I thought, wow, I think that could be a sermon. So you're getting a sermon from some headings, okay? As we go through it, let's look at it together. There are three things Ephesians 5 tells us to do. It tells us to walk in love. It tells us to walk in light. And then it tells us to walk wisely. Three ways to walk. Now, walking is actually from a Greek word. Uh, the, no, it's not. The word walk is translated from a Greek word. And that Greek word is, make sure I have it here, peripateo. In this case, it means this, to live or conduct yourself. So if you look at walk and love, it's not I'm walking around and I've got a loving walk. That's not the picture here. Or I've got a light walk. You know, I'm light on my toes or something. That's not the picture. What it's talking about with the word walk is how we live and how we conduct ourselves. So if I were to change the words, I would say live in love, live in light, and live wisely. And that's what the word walk means in this section. So with that being said, let's look at our first one, walk in love. Um, the first one here is be imitators. Uh, let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, uh, where we were in our scripture reading, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. You know, from the earliest age, humans are imitators. Yes? Um, those of you who work with children all the time, you see imitation all the time. Uh, I see imitation as a teacher. Uh, any of you who I have your children in school, I see them imitating you. They don't even know it sometimes, uh, but they are. And 
Heaven forbid, it is true, when you see my children acting sometime, they're probably imitating me. When they're looking nice, they're imitating their mother. Uh, Adults imitate too. We imitate by trying to look like maybe someone we saw on TV or, or own something like maybe someone else owns. But imitation is kind of part of humanity. And imitation is often done for a couple purposes. Uh, one is to make oneself better. I want to look smarter, be smarter, better looking, richer, whatever. Imitation is that. But when we read here in Ephesians 5, please note who are we being told to imitate? Ephesians 5, verse 1. Who are we being told to imitate? God. We're being told to imitate God. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say, imitate your neighbor. It doesn't tell you to imitate your pastor. It doesn't tell you to imitate your spouse. It doesn't tell you to imitate people on a little box that has a screen that you could watch as electricity. The Bible tells us to imitate God. Be an imitator of God. Now, if you have the King James Version, New King James Version, the very first word in Ephesians 5.1 is what? Therefore. You got it. And anytime you see the word therefore, you want to know what is therefore. So you need to go back to the previous text, a previous section. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, And be ye kind, one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. What a beautiful passage. So if I want to be an imitator of God, very simple, kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, just like God forgave me. Um, there's a, a scripture song that uh, has Ephesians 4.32. If you're interested in memorizing it, it's a great song. I won't share it now. But um, be therefore kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Is there a need for forgiveness in human relationships? All the time. Is there a need for forgiveness if you are a child and you have parents? My children have to forgive me. Is there a need for forgiveness if you're a parent and you have children? Parents tend to need to forgive their children. Is there a need to have forgiveness if you're a spouse, with a spouse? Absolutely. If you don't need forgiveness in your home, please tell me where your home is. I'd like to come and just learn a little bit more of whatever's happening. But no, forgiveness is part of life, isn't it? If you're not forgiving your spouse, if you're not forgiving your parents, if you're not forgiving your children, something is wrong. And your home is not going to last or it won't be happy for sure. Forgiveness is part of it. Uh, Be an imitator. Basically saying here is to forgive. Please don't miss. Who forgave you? How much has God forgiven you for? No, 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 don't tell me. Have you needed forgiveness from God? I know I have. In fact, sometimes I feel like God spends more time forgiving me than other things. But he does. He does forgive. You know, I listened to a marriage 
uh, talk. This must have been 25 years ago. 25 years ago, um, I used to go around and go to marriage seminars. I wasn't married yet. I wasn't going to be married for another 10 years. But I thought, man, I'm going to learn what it's like to have a happy home. And so I would go to these marriage seminars, and there was about two, two, three other single guys, and we all would hang out together at these marriage seminars. We must have been kind of weird, that's all I can say. But we would go to them, we would try to figure out, and I remember hearing a speech being made. A man said, why is it so hard for you to forgive your spouse? God forgave you? How long have you been married? He goes, I guarantee you, you've been married a shorter amount of time than God has forgiven you. You've been married a shorter amount of time than God has been forgiven you. So can't you forgive your spouse that much? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a fair one. All right. The next thing that we see here is found in verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Just briefly focusing on something here. To love as Christ has loved us is, is, is special. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Maybe you remembered it. While we were yet s- sinners, Christ died for us. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Love is based upon giving. I mean, it says right here in Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Love is based upon what? Love is based upon giving. It's not based upon getting. If we based our life on what we received, we are selfish. If we based our life upon giving, it's a whole other way of living. And some of you say, well, Chuck, if you don't, I had a friend of mine who heard him say this once. If I don't look out for myself, ain't nobody else going to do it. Love, and by the way, that's not a life of love. It just isn't. It might be a life of protection, Fear of love, but true love is based upon giving. Um, And to just illustrate that, hey, Steve, could you give me that piece of paper that you had? Thank you so much. Um, Man, that is fantastic. You like this? So uh, the super glue gave themselves wholeheartedly because now it's no longer super glue am i right this is a different material now and the baking powder or soda the baking soda gave of herself for the sake of illustration and she is no longer baking soda they are a new substance but that new substance was impossible without a giving of oneself does that make sense? Steve, when I saw it, I said, that was the illustration I was waiting for. I was praying for an illustration. I couldn't think of an illustration. I was struggling. I couldn't find it. Praise God. Amen? Thank you. There needs to be a giving of oneself to truly have love. If you insist on just holding a little bit back, it just isn't going to work. You know, there's a, a, a book by Alex and Stephen Kendrick. It's entitled The Love Dare. And I'd like to share a 
statement from it with you. Marriage exposes our selfishness and living color. When a man puts his interests, desires, and priorities ahead of his wife, he is flying a flag of his own selfishness. When a wife constantly complains about the time and energy she spends meeting the needs of her husband, she's revealing her selfishness. Moodiness and complaining are selfishness in disguise. Laziness and irresponsibility are other masks that selfishness wears. Boasting and bragging, being easily angered, talking too much, never listening. The list goes on and on. Even generous actions can be selfish if the motive, if the motive is to gain bragging rights or receive a reward. And then they said something that kind of took it to another level. You ready? In reading this, did you focus just now on your partner's tendency to do some of these things but ignore your own? None of us read a book thinking about other people, do we? Why do we have such low standards for ourselves and yet such high expectations for our mate? The answer is a painful pill to swallow. We all struggle with selfishness. Oh, and then here it is. The bottom line is this. You either make decisions out of love for others or love for yourself. You know, I was, uh, there have been times recently where I have had the privilege of babysitting my son. Now, I guess you don't call that babysitting, do you? You call that parenting. <laughs> parenting, my youngest one. And uh, our life is a little hectic right now. Um, uh, Christina will go to teach at the elementary school, and she'll be there in the classroom working for about an hour and a half. And so while our children are, are doing their things, I'm watching our two-year-old so he doesn't tear apart the house. And there are times when it's just in the middle of a great point in the sermon I'm writing, or, or just, just when I'm about to send an email, and I was like, oh, okay, no, so what was I doing? Yeah! Well, yeah, I forgot that again. And I'm taking care of him, and I'm thinking, man, I am working hard. And then the Holy Spirit says, imagine being your wife. You know, so many times we think about ourselves and apply it to ourselves. Am I right? When in reality, we need to say, uh, what I mean by applying it to ourselves is I'm the one who works hard. We need to be willing to look and see what the other person in a relationship is doing. Um, and, and what a beautiful point to be reminded here. By the way, is God a giver or a getter? Absolutely. Sorry for the poor English there, but he is. God's a giver. And that is good news because right now, if you're wondering if God is done giving with you, he's not. God will keep giving and keep giving and keep giving as long as you're willing to keep receiving. God loves you. There's not a question in my mind. God loves you. In this whole area of relationships, to be an imitator of God is probably the one word that I should just say and that would sum up everything because he is a giver who loves unconditionally. What an awesome God we have. Then I'd like to look at this last one. You know, 
in the, we have three areas we're looking at. We're looking at walking or living in love, walking or living in the light, or walking and living uh, wisely. And the, each section, or at least the first two sections, have a warning. And the warning in this one is, I call it flee the filth. Okay? Let's look at verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. By the way, the concept of giving of thanks comes up several times. It's interesting where that plays a role in relationships. So there are certain things that says, don't let even be named among you. Well, that's enough to, for most of us to put our heads down. But here it is, fornication, Greek word porneia. So you, you know where we get our words from today. Covetousness, a greedy desire to have more. Uh, all uncleanness, which is, this is the idea of a lustful, luxurious living. Filthiness, foolish talking. By the way, filthiness was actually talking about baseness and dishonor. Um, and then coarse jesting or low jesting. Um, these are things that are not supposed to be part in a relationship. Uh, if you want to tear relationships down, embrace the filth. If you want to improve a relationship, flee it. Say, here it is, and I'm going to go this direction. You know, there's a, a guy who was a famous writer and speaker back when I was a teenager. Uh, he's not famous anymore. I'm not even going to mention his name, but I'm going to tell you an illustration that he used. He said, purity... And a lot of people's mind is like a line drawn in the sand. And you got this line in the sand, and this line is purity. So everything on this side is pure, and then everything on this side is impure. So in our relationships, oftentimes we go like this. We get as close as we possibly can to the, to the line of purity and hope that we don't fall over to the impure side. And then if we do, step over, oh, 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 I'm sorry, ask for forgiveness and try to work through it. He said, but purity is not a line. Purity is a direction of life. Purity is going as far away as you can from that which will defile. Purity is, is not some line that you can get as close as you possibly can to. And when we flee the filth, it's not getting as close to the line where the filth stays. It's getting as far away as it from we can. That is what God is looking for. By the way, that's what our relationships are looking for. That's what our spouses are looking for. That's what our children are looking for. That's what our parents are looking for. Flee the filth. You know, there's a quotation from the same book, The Love Dare. Any relationship that is drawing your affection away from your spouse has already gone too far. Anything. And, and, and this relationship doesn't have to be with another human being, although that's definitely being implied here. Wisdom says to be extra guarded around those you find most appealing and attractive. They should be kept at a greater emotional distance. Why? Your love is why. I strongly encourage you if you find something that's attractive and appealing to you and it's going to pull you away from your spouse, go far away from it. If it's over there, 
you need to be over here. There are some times, let's face it, right? We might meet someone who just, it clicks. But the reality is, if it clicks and it's not your spouse, stop clicking. Right? Flee as best as you can. You know, um, let's look at our next section here. Walk in light. Walk in light. And this, of course, is found, uh, taken from this next verse. Can we turn there? You're already there. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're looking at verse 8. For ye were once darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I I like this phrase because when you study the Bible, it's interesting to note what's not being said. Uh, It's a a great way to study the Bible. It doesn't say, for you were in darkness, and now you are in the light. What does it say? For you were once darkness, but now you are light. It says, walk as children of light, but you are now light in the Lord. You are light. I love the way God speaks to Christians. He looks and he speaks faith. You are light. You are light. You are light. What a picture in the Lord. And I ask myself, how is it possible? And of course, that answers it, doesn't it? How is it possible that you and I can be light? Well, let's just look at a few things here. Maybe you can just uh, do a, a memory uh, with me. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as what? Dear children. So we are children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Um, But as many as received him, John 1, verse 12, to them gave he power to become the sons of God or children of God. So when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, the Bible says you are a child of God. No questions. So what does it say about God? John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So let's just put those two together. I am a child of God, and God is light. So therefore, I am a child of light, and therefore, light. I. I look at Chuck Holtree, and I don't think of me as light, quite frankly. Maybe you feel the same way. But if I accept Christ into my life and he's living in me, he is light, so therefore I am light. Praise God. Praise God. We are children of God, and because of that, we are light. Whose light is it? Wait, wait, wait. Whose light is it? God's light. Ephesians chapter 60, verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for thy light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So he'll call it our light, but it's really God's light. All right. Um, Verse 5, verse 10, sorry. 
Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. I want to encourage you, if you want to have a great relationship in life, no matter what it may be, find out what is acceptable to the Lord. And I think I might have, um, yes, let me just add, find the acceptable. What's acceptable to God? So if a wife finds out what's acceptable to God and a husband finds out what's acceptable to God, I can guarantee you that's a happy home. If parents find out what's acceptable to God and children find out what's acceptable to God, I can tell you that's a happy home. But that is daring to live different. It takes courage to live that way. It's so easy to follow along with what everyone else does. But to find out what's acceptable to God. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and thinking about, wow, what would God want me to do today? That's a great idea, isn't it? I know, I know a lot of you do this already. That's why I'm smiling. I've heard you tell your testimony. God, I'm open. I'm ready. What do you want from me today? But I'm going to take an application here. This is not interpretation. I'm going to apply it. What if you woke up thinking that way about your family? God, what would be acceptable for my wife today from me? What would be acceptable for my husband today from me? What would be acceptable for my children today from me? What would be acceptable in your eyes for my parents from me? What a new way of thinking. What a new way of living. That is powerful thinking. What is acceptable? Next, no fellowship with darkness. So the first thing we looked at was fleeing the filth. Now we're looking at no fellowship with darkness, okay? Um, Verses 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Bring light into your life, and shameful things will be exposed. Yes? Bring light into your life, and shameful things will be exposed. Key point for us to remember. By the way, Paul says it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Secret is a whole new world today, am I right? Sometime in the past, I've had a student who came up to me and said, Mr. Holtry, I don't know what to do. I need my phone, but my phone is killing me. And I said, what's more important, the need of your phone or your death? Spiritually speaking, of course, right? And I, did, I shared something with him that I would share with any of you. I just saved the time of ever talking to me about it. Get rid of the phone. Get a flip phone with no data service. But people won't be able to get a hold of me as easy. Tough. Your spiritual walk is worth more than that. Isn't that right? If there is something that that is happening, get rid of it. No fellowship with the darkness. You know, in the love dare, it says, watch out for parasites. A parasite is anything that latches onto you or your partner and sucks the life out of your marriage. They're usually in the form of addictions like gambling, 
drugs, or pornography. Then it says this. They promise pleasure, but grow like a disease and consume more and more of your thoughts, time, and money. They steal away your loyalty and heart from those you love. You realize that. I don't think anyone goes into addiction saying, I love this addiction more than I love my spouse. No one would do that. But what happens is when it takes your time and your money and your heart, what happens is your heart stops here and your heart goes here. Flee the unfruitful things of darkness as well. No fellowship. It goes on, it says, marriages rarely survive if a parasite is present. If you love your spouse, you must destroy an addiction that has your heart. If you don't, it will destroy you. You know, um, connected with this no fellowship with darkness, I'd like to just, this is uh, another application. Watch out who your counselors are. Yes? Be careful who you're going to for counsel. A worldling is going to give you what they think. But you don't ask a worldling about worldliness. They're just going to agree with it. Yes? Be careful who you go to for a counsel. You know, in fact, uh, this is, I think, the last one I'd like to share from this book, I believe. Not everyone has the material to be a good friend. I hope you agree with that. You may not agree with it, but let's work through it. Not everyone has the material to be a good friend. Not every man you hunt and fish with speaks wisely when it comes to matters of marriage. Not every woman in your lunch group has a perfect perspective on commitment and priorities. In fact, anyone who undermines your marriage does not deserve the right to whisper in your ear. Anything that undermines your marriage does not deserve the right to whisper in your ear. I challenge you, what you're watching, what you're reading, who you're talking to, what you're researching on the internet, if it's undermining your relationships, stop. In the name of God, and the name of your relationship, stop. Our last area is walk wisely. Uh, so we, we looked at walk in love or live in love, walk in light or live in light, and now we're looking at walk wisely or live wisely. And I love the way this starts here in verse 15. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. See that you walk circumspectly. Uh, the word circum means to look around, right? Inspect, look. So looking around. Uh, have you heard that phrase, you know, you look both ways before you cross the street? Uh, how many of you have crossed the street without doing that and felt the results? Anyone? I did. I was going to a pizzeria. I was in fifth, sixth grade, 
and there was cars, you know, it was, it was inside the town, 25 mile an hour speed limit. There's t- cars on either side of the road parked, and I was between two of those cars. I wasn't terribly tall yet, and I remember stepping out from in between those cars, and I got knocked. I got thrown a little bit of a distance. Uh, thankfully, the driver was driving the proper speed in town, and so they only threw me, I don't know, 10, 15 feet, but it was enough to really hurt. And uh, thankfully, nothing was broken. But I did not look both ways before I crossed the street. I was not walking circumspectly. And so when it comes to a relationship, we also need to walk circumspectly. When you are in a relationship and something is about to happen, you look both ways and make sure this is a good move or not. In fact, I could use this phrase, think ahead. Think before you speak. Uh, That happens in every relationship. By the way, uh, thinking before you speak is very difficult. But as it says in James, yes, James chapter 1, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Uh, Someone said the reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth is so we listen twice as much as we talk, right? Um, And this concept here is being brought out, uh, let us Walk circumspectly. Let's think before we act. Um, If any of you are wondering my uh, authority to share a message like this, please know I have no authority to share this message except the Word of God says it. I'm a human being who often acts before I think, among other things. But God is asking us how to have successful relationships. These are ways to do it. Um, Walk circumspectly. Verse 16 says, redeeming the time. That word redeeming is the same word that says God has redeemed us. Redeeming the time means to purchase something. Uh, Your time is one thing that's more valuable than you can imagine. Uh, Everyone in here, has 24 hours of 60 minutes of 60 seconds a day. Every single one of you has it. Um, It is important that we redeem the time. There's a quotation from a book, Christ Object Lessons, by author Ellen White that I like. It says, the only way in which we can redeem our time is by making the most of that which remains. Make the most of it. Use it. By being co-workers with God and his great plan of redemption. Um, Making the most of what remains. How much time do you have left? Make the most of it. By the way, you don't know how much time you have left. Make the most of it. Some of you in here who are more mature could have a whole lot many more years left than I do. I don't know that and you don't know that. Make the most of the time you have today. God has given us time. By the way, in a relationship... um, I think we also need to be making the most of our time. (laughs) It's so easy today to lose time. I was doing something I got on my cell phone this week, which has data, unfortunately. And I was looking at the data, and I was, it was nothing bad, right? Nothing bad for an hour. Yes? Well, thankfully, my children were sleeping. 
so I didn't lose time with them, but maybe I lost time with my wife. Maybe I lost time with God. So these are just things for, for us to, to, to realize uh, as we're going through. I'm, I realize this is uh, pretty heavy. I'm not meaning to make it too heavy. At the same time, I want us to think seriously because this is a serious topic in today's life. You know, it says here also that we need to be spirit-filled. Let's look at that. Um, Therefore, do not be unwise. I'm in verse 17. But understand what the will of God is, will of the Lord is. Verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Spirit-filled. Um, when you're filled with the Spirit, really cool things take place. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us something that takes place when you are filled with the Spirit. Acts 1, 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be martyrs to me. And Yes, the word witnesses is from the Greek word martyros, martyr. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Uh, can you imagine waking up in your house as a witness for God? You see, witnessing, I used to think, took place Sabbath afternoon with literature. Yes? Witnessing takes place when we have an evangelistic series. Witnessing takes place when we do these uh, great bridge events that are taking place. Men's fraternity, uh, vegetarian supper club, uh, divorce care, uh, financial peace university. And we go on to the incredible list that's taking place in this church. Praise God. But witnessing is not only then. Witnessing happens when I get out of my bed. Witnessing is something that my wife should experience. I'm not talking about saying, hey, honey, have you uh, been saved today? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus Christ should be seen in the life of Chuck in his home. That is witnessing. My children should see Jesus in me. It's very dangerous to preach this sermon when you have your children sitting in the audience. They know I'm not perfect. But I can tell you, they know I want to be a witness for Jesus Christ in my home. And I pray that your family knows that too. Say, I, by the grace of God, want to be a witness for God, filled with the Holy Spirit in my own home. And then this... Give thanks. By the way, this idea of, of thanks came up underneath walk in the light, and now it's coming up in walking wisely or walking circumspectly. Um, let us, oh, I'm in Acts 2. There in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I find that very interesting. That giving thanks is for how much? All things. You know, I heard, uh, Sister Florine, you shared this in your prayer. In everything, give thanks. All things? Everything? I think our homes, our relationships, would be so powerful if we actually gave thanks in all things. Now, you may be looking at me and saying, Chuck, how can I give thanks in this area? I don't know. 
I'm not God. But if God says you can give thanks in all things, you can do it. Because somehow, some way, God has something for you. And I don't understand. But I know it to be true. Maybe, just maybe, we have to trust that there's a God in heaven who truly is in charge and wants only the best for you and for me. When I have that kind of faith, I can give thanks in all things. But it takes trusting him to a level that, quite frankly, I'm not used to, and maybe you're not either. In everything, give thanks. But God, I'm separated from my family right now. In everything, give thanks. God, right now I'm struggling with finances. In everything, give thanks. Right now, I'm facing battles that are beyond my power. In everything, give thanks. Somehow, God will reveal himself in these areas. And you will see God. He says, my grace is more than sufficient. You will experience more grace when you need more grace. You know what that means? You can give thanks. The last section here in our last section is verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. You know, um, just a little, little point here. The next verse says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Okay, we'll just get that out, right? This do and thou shalt live. No, um, it wasn't humorous because you ladies do not think that's humorous. Okay, um, please note that before wives submit yourselves to your husband is this verse, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. The context is everyone submitting to each other. That's powerful. See, in our culture, you know who submits? The people who are lower, right? In our culture, the people who submit are the ones who are lower. I'm going to submit to my boss because he's the one who pays me. I'm going to submit to the government because yeah, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm going to submit to a police officer because I don't want to get hurt. I'm going to submit for multiple different reasons to people who are in authority over me. But this here shows Christianity is different. Submission is not based upon power and position and, and, and finances. Submission is based upon the fact that you are a Christian and you submit to each other. That's beautiful. That is really beautiful. Submission is not a one-way street in Christianity. Submission means that I submit to my wife. I submit to my children. My children submit to me. My wife submits to me. We all submit to each other. In heaven, the most powerful position, the one with the most finances is God himself. And he submitted to the death of the cross for you and for me. 
the greatest submitted for us. Heaven's thinking is that the great submit to the lesser. In one of my favorite verses, and the problem is I forgot where it's at. If you've got it, please let me know. In the book of Luke, we are told that when we get to heaven, Jesus Christ himself will serve us. And I always stand in amazement at that concept because if I should be doing anything in heaven, it should be serving him because it's only of his grace that I'm there. But the the idea of submission in the Bible is that he who is greatest is the servant. So the greater you are in heaven's economy, the more you have to serve. The lower you are in heaven's economy, the more you get served. Totally backwards from the way we think today. We need to submit ourselves one to another. You know what? I think of Jesus kneeling at the feet of his disciples that night so long ago. They were arguing among each other about who was the greatest. One of them had already betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And the other one, in just a few hours, was going to deny him with cursing. And they were all going to leave him alone on the cross. And Jesus knelt down. He, knowing that, knowing he was from God, he knelt down and he washed the feet of his disciples. He washed the feet of the betrayer. He washed the feet of the denier. He washed the feet of those who would leave him alone. Because he submitted. And he left the example for you and for me. Do you want to see an improvement in your relationships? Be they in a home, be they with friends, learn how to submit. Learn how to walk in love. Learn how to walk in the light. Learn how to walk with wisdom. When we do these things, we will see tremendous things happen. But they're not easy. Because what I've shared today is a different way of life. We are told today that we are supposed to get our rights. We're told today that we must stand up and defend who we are. We're told today that we must fight. And yet there's this call that's coming out to us to live differently. And I dare you, by God, I dare you to live differently. Don't do relationships the way the world does them. Do you dare to live different? By the grace of God, I do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, happiness does come, but it comes when we dare to live different. Please bless the families and homes that are represented here today and the friendships. I ask that, Father, you would help us to live differently. To be Christians. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.